Welcome to the NDS Safer and Stronger podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Bernie Golding, the OHS manager at Scope Australia, speaking with Eugene Liston, the project coordinator from the Safer and Stronger team, as they discuss the impact on mental health in the disability sector during the COVID 19 pandemic, how her team managed the changing needs required in the workforce during that time and the importance of taking an integrated approach towards employee well-being. Hi, Bernie. Thanks for joining us today. It's, it's been great um, hearing a little bit about the work Scope has been doing in the, I guess, mental health space with your staff. So uh, we're keen to explore that a bit further. But can you start by just explaining a little bit about your role at Scope? Sure. Uh, hi, Eugene. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, chat with you today and I'm really happy to confirm that my role at SCOPE is the group manager, health, safety and wellbeing. Uh, so I currently uh, oversee 233 services that have transitioned across from uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. We also had 108 uh, services at SCOPE already, so that's now pushing 350 in Victoria. Uh, we also have 4,200 staff at the moment and we have a combination of uh, group homes, day and lifestyle options, uh, therapy and also communication and inclusion um, roles as well. Wow, sounds like you've got a pretty big mandate there. <laughs> um, I guess it's, it's fairly or very well known that the, the pandemic's had a pretty significant impact on um, the mental health of the broader community. Um, how do you think disability services have been uniquely impacted by the pandemic in that way? It's Look, it's been really interesting. If I can just take the opportunity to call out what an amazing job um, disability support workers across the state have done. Uh, in terms of scope, uh, we were really fortunate and touching wood that we've not had any cases of transmission to date. There has been an occasional staff member uh, who had previously in the height of COVID had identified as, as testing positive, but we were really quick to be able to lock down and follow our infection control procedures uh, to make sure that we limited any risk uh, in that space. And I'd have to say even, um, so my background is is a nurse and I've worked in infection control for years and years, but I've not seen the like of what's been required in community and workplaces. So if I look at support workers who are navigating their way now through um, quite extensive PPE, so it's masks intermittently, it's been face shields, it's been gowns um, and the hand sanitizer requirements. Uh, and there's also been the monitoring, the, the increased infection control requirements around cleaning inside the homes and when they're out in community as well. Um, the workload and I think people having to always second guess and think as they go through their day, uh, the impact has been, I think, astronomical. Having said that, though, uh, in terms of increased risk of incidents and certainly increased mental health issues, 
I think it's been um, really pleasing to note that our support workers haven't demonstrated an increased risk in a lot of those areas in terms of claims. Um, and certainly for the first wave, uh, we, we saw a slight decrease in incidents, which really surprised us. And I think that was around people um, just gathering themselves and working together. I think it's fair to say that in the second wave of COVID and towards the end of last year, um, scope, uh, like I think the rest of Victoria, um, we're getting tired. And so we were starting to see people just saying, look, I'm I'm kind of tired, I'm done. Um, and I'm looking to link into uh, some mental health supports. Uh, and fortunately for us, we've, we've got the mandate to provide additional resources on the ground in the health and safety team. Um, we also have a customer safeguarding team as well. So they primarily look after the the safety of, of customers in that space, but the staff, uh, we've got a quite a comprehensive team who have been uh, on call. Uh, we haven't been able to go out to sites because of low location and infection control issues, uh, but we've certainly been on the phone, um, I think for generally eight hours a day since March. I definitely, yeah, see that or understand that huge sort of change between the lockdown of between the first wave and the second wave, that things were very, very different. Um, did, did you find that employees in, in some roles were impacted in, in different ways to employees in other roles? Like were, were frontline workers impacted differently to maybe office staff who had to make different changes? It's certainly, um, I think as we would expect, the, the frontline uh, carried the, the workload, the customer requirements, the increased needs around infection control, all of the PPE tasks. And I think for a lot of people, it would have been, uh, it would have felt like walking around um, like a bit of an alien uh, for the first six months, getting used to all of that equipment and being confined in a mask. I think there were a few people who had challenges with that initially, which we had to work through with them. I think what you're picking up is really interesting that potentially people who reported increased vulnerability around mental health issues were um, quite often office-based employees. So the isolation of not having um, colleagues and workmates and um, the normal workplace to go to every day uh, seemed to really take a toll uh, on people who weren't frontline. Uh, so particularly, I think when uh, we were in lockdown, you weren't really allowed to leave your homes. You were stuck in the, the five kilometre zone. They were separated quite often from family uh, and friends. And that certainly took a toll. Yeah. And I, and I guess just on that, do you think to, to some extent for maybe frontline workers, they were in, in a way, even though they there was a lot more requirements around um, PPE and workload, but they were able to, I guess, have some normality in, in their routine that they were still sort of leaving the house and, and going out to to their workplace yeah I think it's a disability support workers had purpose right so they were mm. on mission they were they were you know full of, of purpose and I think when the the government is telling us only people who are essential can go to work uh, and and they were classified in that space and and certainly it gave them not necessarily reward, but certainly recognition of, of how vital their roles are. Yeah, and def definitely important, that recognition side of thing and sense of purpose. Um, so in terms of 
the the programs you have at, at Scope. Can you can you take me through um, any of the mental health and wellbeing programs you do have in place there, and how you think they're effective? Sure. Uh, so in terms of employee assistance program pre-COVID, uh, we have Converge International in place, and I know there are other disability service providers who use Converge as well. So that's the 24-7 access to, <clears throat> excuse me, counsellors. Um, there's also manager assist lines. There's financial assist in there. There's um, drug and alcohol support programs as part of uh, our, our offering. Uh, and we do provide pre-COVID uh, four visits um, per, per issue uh, a year. What we did do in the beginning of COVID is Converge offered an additional a corona care program. So we provided webinars and, and info sessions for people to, to provide support uh, during COVID that they could access uh, at any time that they were free. We also, uh, like other providers, doubled the number of counselling sessions that were available to staff and their family, family members as well. Uh, we did find as the PPE requirements started to um, step up and step down, it was once the mask went on, but also uh, face shields and additional requirements around gowns, uh, we had to set up what we called a COVID in-reach team. So they were members of the health and safety team. I'm really fortunate to have a number of other nurses uh, who are part of my team as well. Um, be available to answer really confused questions. I think when when people are starting to go into a bit of overwhelm, do I wear my face shield with the safety glasses on top of my other glasses was a question I, I would get frequently. Uh, and a little bit of confusion around masks and face shields as well. So they were additional programs uh, that we provided. We did also identify that perhaps we needed more detailed mental health support. So uh, as soon as we were able to, we sent three people off to the mental health first aid instructor program. And once we're allowed to do the face-to-face -face training without a mask on, uh, we will be rolling that through, through key uh, cohorts. So operational managers, coordinators, and health and safety representatives. Yeah, that, that's great. It sort of, it, it sounds like there was maybe potentially even caused by the pandemic a shift from uh, more of a focus on uh, like supporting employees when they do experience mental health to to more of a preventative approach um, in in how you do that. Um, do you think you'll you know keep those changes into the future with like the the wellbeing webinars and and supporting staff with mental health first aid? Absolutely. So we routinely, we have what we call a, a calendar of events and we make it sound like it's done, but basically we, we, we schedule mental health uh, and during the month of October, there are tasks that all of our services are required to do. So we make um, mental health as important as checking fire extinguishers or um, we have a physical uh, health month during um, Heart Week in, in that April, May period as well. So if you schedule it in and make it part of what people have to do, so I have to talk about mental health in my uh, team meetings and these are the tasks I need to do. Um, what we're trying to really get through to all of our workforce, back office and frontline 
is that mental health and making sure that you're okay becomes part of our scheduled activities and not just a nice to have. And COVID really has embedded that, I think, as, as a requirement for us moving forward. We know that a lot of our workers at home, um, Scope was really good at making sure that financially we tried to keep um, people well paid, even when job seeker and job keeper, I think, were were stepping up in some spaces. We we wanted to try and make sure that people had as much information and reassurance around um, financial support, but also um, keeping people up to date with what we knew uh, that was going on. I think uh, we also acknowledge that that people might have had partners or other family members who were losing their jobs or certainly impacted financially. So um, part of our, our uh, Converge offering is that we provide supports in there around um, financial information too. Yeah, and, and there's certainly, I guess, a, a, a decent base of evidence that, that suggests that taking that more integrated approach to mental health that focuses on like preventing exposure to stresses and promoting like resilience um, and then supporting employees that experience mental illness is, is kind of like a best practice. Um, do you have any, I guess, tips or advice for disability service providers who are starting off on that journey to um, broaden the scope of, of their own wellbeing programs? Sure. I think uh, most important is to take stock and see what you've got in place already. Uh, most employee assistance programs, in in my experience, have not been used very well. So it, it might be part of your, your human resources or people and culture offering, uh, but a lot of people don't use it. Quite often the usage rate is under 2%. So for us, if we had 5 to 6% or more, for us that was good. It meant people were accessing uh, more frequently. I think also uh, for service providers, if they don't have things already in place around um, what else is going on in the world, uh, so whether that's that's politics in another country, uh, but in the middle of COVID, we had the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so for a lot of our workforce who are culturally and linguistically diverse, the impacts were quite significant. I did have people saying to me, look, what's going on in the world and, and race being, you know, highlighted and, and people being targeted for that reason. For a lot of people, uh, those movements and that impact was greater than COVID. Mm-hmm. So and if, if you think some of some people, and, and that certainly included myself, I, I'm Fijian Australian, and so I had a lot of people that were impacted um, who were culturally and linguistically diverse and making sure that, that you keep people safe, that you keep culture and diversity, uh, certainly in our industry, as a, um, a front of centre um, program that you spotlight, then you really support your workers, all of them, um, but particularly those who might be a bit more vulnerable, like those with different cultural um, or language backgrounds. That's a, a, a really good point and an, and an interesting one and it's sort of I guess we're, with those issues that might affect um, other communities or individuals it's, it's not always like apparent to people that that those additional impacts you know might be impacting them more than the pandemic um, so how, how would you or how did you work with with staff who faced those additional challenges and and would, what advice would you give to to other managers who are trying to support um, employees with with similar issues? 
Sure. Uh, one of the other hats I do wear is I sit on the Victorian Multicultural Commission's advisory groups in, in the region. So we were being um, routinely contacted and advised, you know, people of Asian backgrounds might be targeted. So here's support programs, here's different programs in languages. So uh, Victorian government have been really good in that space of providing additional supports for vulnerable communities. Uh, and making sure that there was a, um, a focus on trying to reduce people being targeted on that basis uh, when there were reports in media about uh, communities that might have positive cases. Uh, but I think it's it's really about just what we would do for everyone, so including people, making sure that if there is increased pressure or stress within a, within a service or any workplace, um, that you remind people to be nice and, and be kind in an environment when everyone's feeling the pressure and uh, certainly for our um, our customers who also did an amazing job in, in lockdown, if you think routines were, were thrown out the window and um, what they expect in, in their normal routine was certainly um, not there. So making sure that people um, were reminded to uh, really be nice to each other, but also to reach out and get supports. Uh, so whether that's the health and safety team uh, for us, whether it's the customer safeguarding team, the people and culture team, um, we also have an, an occupational violence prevention uh, team within the health and safety team as well. Um, whether there was confusion around uh, infection control requirements, changing guidelines, because there was a lot of changes in, uh, in guidelines as, as cases either decreased or increased, uh, just making sure that we could provide either prompt answers or get um, the right responses back to, to people as well. Uh, and if there was bad behaviour, certainly making sure that people were managing that uh, and getting the right supports if that's what they needed. And I think if there's ever been like a, a greater, uh, you know, thing to help us focus on, you know, using empathy, it's, it's the, the shared experience of the pandemic that we, you know, we know that this is impacting, like I might know that it's impacting me heavily. And so I think it helps to, you know, look at, other people's behavior and realize that you know they're also going through something really challenging and to not be you know quick to to judge absolutely i think uh, certainly in the early days when there was um, a lot of confusion around access to ppe um, flu vaccinations early on uh, now that disability is increasingly being part of the conversation around access so making sure that they are included in frontline uh, then that takes away a lot of that stress or pressure. Certainly, we spend a lot of time um, trying to access uh, resources and equipment early on. So uh, now that that's kind of all calmed down, I think for us, just making sure that we respond really quickly, we remind people to be nice, um, we manage behavioural issues if they're if they're there, um, but also making sure that there's lots of reward and recognition for, for people who just do an amazing job. Great. Well, it's been great to chat to you this morning, Bernie. Uh, if if there, Obviously, the pandemic has led to a lot of not very good things in, over the last year, but if there's anything good to come from it, I, I hope that a greater focus on mental health and wellbeing is one of them, and it sounds like you're at Scope, you're doing some really interesting and good things. 
We're not perfect, um, but I think for for us, we've, we've learned a lot in COVID and we've really reached out to the likes of NDS to get supports um, and ideas from other providers and we've implemented those uh, during the COVID pandemic and we'll continue to do that. And I think the 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 collaboration that's happened in the disability sector throughout the pandemic has been such a huge positive for organisations that you know might in theory be competing with each other to be so open to sharing practices and, and advice. It's been a massive positive. Absolutely. Uh, I think what I always remind people is that one area that we don't need to compete is health, safety and wellbeing. Uh, and idea sharing is just about all of us improving uh, what we need to to move forward. So um, I think not reinventing the wheel all the time is really uh, important. And NDS has been a large part of that uh, as well. So thank you very much to, uh, to your organisation because they've been fantastic. <laughs> Glad, glad to help. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for chatting me, with me this morning. Um, it's great to hear your experiences and, and good luck with it all in, in the coming months as we hopefully move out of the pandemic. Thanks, Eugene. Thank you for listening. Search NDS Safer and Stronger on YouTube for more experiences from disability providers, as well as other useful resources, or visit the Coronavirus Hub Victorian Response Section at nds.org.au. NDS has developed a toolkit of resources for supporting disability service providers in implementing mental health strategies in their workplaces. Visit the link in the podcast bio to learn more. The Safer and Stronger Project focuses on supporting disability services to respond to COVID-19.